Hello, hello. Welcome to Yay for Growth. I'm your host, Savannah Zipak, and this is a personal development podcast where we have all kinds of conversations about every area of health, well-being, and occasionally something different to spice things up. With two, almost three college degrees, five years of combined experience in healthcare and research, and a passion for improving population health, I'm here to make sure nothing goes unspoken. So take a deep breath, check in with yourself, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? I'm doing great. Um, I slept 12 hours last night. <laughs> so that's pretty uh, yay for me. Um, yeah, so today we're going to talk about something called compassion fatigue. And I'll explain what it is a little bit later. So basically, I've had a couple different ideas for new episodes, right? Um, And so I did a poll on my Instagram, sustained with salve. And I had the three different topics, which varied. So it was, what is compassion fatigue? Why do we love fall so much? And then sleep health slash sleep dysregulation, sleep disorders, like that kind of stuff. And it was a 50-50 tie between what is compassion fatigue and then why do we love fall so much. So I decided that the first one I was going to do is what is compassion fatigue and I will also be doing the second one. Um, Why do we love fall so much? Probably in a couple days or next week. So Anyways, I'm excited to do this topic because compassion fatigue is something that I myself have experienced. It's something that has come up, you know, for so many people and I'll explain kind of like who it typically happens to and then like the latter, right? So I did want to start this episode by just saying that like if you hear anything in the background, in Jersey right now, it has been storming for three days, like three days nonstop. And it fell on the weekend of the beginning, the official beginning of fall. So while it's been very cozy and wonderful, that is why I have not been recording because it's just been so like rainy and windy and crazy that I feel like I'm like overstimulated. Um, And then this weekend I had so much homework to do, but it's okay because we're here and we're gonna get to it um that being said i hope you enjoy this episode all right so let's start with what is compassion fatigue like what is it um and this is this definition i took from the canadian medical association they have an awesome resource on their website um i will link it in the bio definitely go check it out goodness gracious I don't know why I'm so like breathy today it's just annoying but we're here compassion fatigue is the cost of caring for others or for their emotional pain resulting from the desire to help relieve the suffering of others it is also known as a vicarious or secondary trauma referencing the way that other people's trauma can become their own So this is something that typically happens to social workers, mental and behavioral health practitioners and clinicians, 
healthcare providers and workers such as doctors, nurses, etc., individuals caring for family and friends who are mentally or physically ill. And this can also just happen if like, let's say you're going through a tough season in your life with maybe your best friend is going through something hard like a divorce and you're the only, like you're their main go-to, right? And it's just been a time of like taking on their trauma maybe a little bit and being there for them. This can just happen to the average person in different seasons, but it is especially common when you work in healthcare, um, when you work in maybe like science, right? Even research, you know, with patients and things like that. Um, but especially, you know, people who have other others in their life that struggle with mental illness. Um, so this is something that maybe you have experienced and maybe someone has experienced because of you. Um, and it's, it's a phenomena that I really wanted to shed and like bring to light because when I learned about it, it was like a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, why don't more people know about this? And, you know, I kind of thought that that was probably about almost a year ago when I really like was thinking about it because I had started my first job in behavioral health. Um, and it was a lot. It was an adjustment. And I did experience compassion fatigue. But I realized that people experience it all the time, I think, and they don't even realize it. And it's commonly mistaken for burnout. So I did find another source where it was like, it's different from, I can't remember, um, and I don't have it up, but basically it was like, compassion fatigue is different from burnout because burnout is like, kind of takes over your whole body, your whole mind, your whole drive and everything like that. Whereas compassion fatigue takes over maybe more of the like mental processing side of things although in this signs and symptoms list that I will go over you will see sometimes physical symptoms are related right so what are the signs and symptoms of compassion fatigue feelings of helplessness and powerlessness in the face of patient suffering reduced feelings of empathy and sensitivity feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by work demands okay I'm gonna pause right here and I wanted to say something useful that I think a lot of you will resonate with. If you have ever worked in customer service or retail, this is something that you will have probably also experienced. If you're like, if you're that person that tries to be like really nice to the customer, understand, chit chat with them, like things like that, you can experience this too. Um, moving on. So other signs and symptoms. Feeling detached numb and emotionally disconnected, loss of interest in activities you used to enjoy, increased anxiety, sadness, anger, and irritability. That is like, I feel like the key one, especially when it comes to like other people's problems. Like someone will come to you with like an issue and want to vent or talk about it and where you normally can like feel for them and give good or not advice, but like validate them you find yourself just getting very, like, irritable and annoyed. Um, difficulty concentrating and making decisions. Difficulty sleeping and sleep disturbances like nightmares. Physical symptoms like headaches, nausea, upset stomach, 
diarrhea. Yay, Pepto-Bismol. No. Um, <laughs> upset stomach and dizziness. And that could just be mainly from the anxiety, right? If you're, like, very irritable, angry, anxious, you're not breathing right, you maybe aren't taking care of yourself and nourishing yourself. Other things include increased conflict in personal relationships, maybe because you're not responding the ways that you normally do. Maybe you start reacting. Neglect of your own self-care. Withdrawal and self-isolation. That's a big one that I experienced. And this is one of the more rare symptoms, but it's specific to some people. An increase in substance use as a form of self-medication. Um, or I also want to add to this list, you could also have an increased use in your prescribed medications, right? We, Some of us who are naturally anxious or maybe take anxiety meds or antidepressants, if we have any sedatives or emergency medications, we might find ourselves taking them a little bit more and then that's affecting our physical health, right? And our mental health because they usually make you tired and groggy. Um, albeit, you know, sometimes they're necessary. So that's kind of an overview of like compassion fatigue and the symptoms that you might feel based on it. Now, I want to go and tell you a little before we get into coping and managing compassion fatigue I'll tell you a little bit about my experience with it so as some of you know and I've talked about on this podcast before over the past year I've worked as an assessment counselor in uh, behavioral health right so I would be doing these substance abuse assessments where I'd be asking people you know such personal details about their life and going through, you know, a bunch of diagnostic um, clinical screening questions. And more times than not, it would lead to, you know, we'd have to have conversations about their trauma and things like that. And I found myself, you know, adjusting to this maybe okay in the beginning. And if anything, I found it fun in the beginning because I was waiting so long to have a position like this. I was waiting so long to impact people's lives and be there for them and help them but after dealing with the population I had to deal with um, which was specifically parents who were referred by DIFUS so they would have like open cases with child protective services DIFUS is actually not called DIFUS anymore it's now DCF the Department of Children and Families um, at least in New Jersey but I I'm pretty sure it's like that everywhere um I found myself probably about like four to four months in, um, maybe even three, after I got used to really like working with that population and I was done like with the training and adjustment of like, okay, what am I doing? You know, building my intuition, building my clinical judgment, things like that, which is, you know, the whole first few months at any job is you're just really adjusting and training and building your confidence in the position. Um, so that it becomes a little bit more second nature or something. But yeah, so I was finding myself once I got in the groove. Um, I would start seeing clients and we call them clients, not patients, because we weren't like treating them. We were just assessing them. Um, and I would find that like I really wasn't enjoying it as much out of nowhere. Like, literally out of nowhere. And 
And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's, you know, just long days or I'm, because I'm busy, like maybe I'm burning out. And I don't really, I mean, yeah, I was like burnt out at certain points, but it took me a while and a couple sessions of like with my therapist of like explaining how work was really starting to affect my, or like the job, I shouldn't say work, but like the job I was letting affect me and like I was coming home every day and locking myself in my room and my boyfriend's parents were kind of like, is she okay? Like what's wrong with her? Um, and just kind of didn't see my friends, you know, mind you, I have other things in my life and other responsibilities, but for the most part in all of the downtime I would have for myself, I wasn't even taking care of myself. And it was really starting to affect, like, my physical health and my anxiety and then, of course, depression, right? Because you're not yourself, not living your life, not doing things that make you happy. And I was finding that when I was dealing with these clients, I was just sitting there and, like, almost tuning them out a little bit because I was just going through the motions and... I didn't want to attach myself to them in any way. Like, I I found that, you know, obviously I am a very compassionate, empathetic person. That's why I wanted to work in behavioral health. Um, because I felt like I could, like, really be there for people and empathize with them. And anyone who works, like, in um, mental health and even just, like, even medical, you know, if, if you work in medicine any type of healthcare, you do have to learn how to, like, separate yourself um, and be professional. You know, we can want to be there for patients and clients all we want, but at the end of the day, like, we have to be professional to remain objective and help them and do our best. Um, You know, an example is how, like, no matter how badly you might want to be friends with your therapist, you can't be friends with your therapist because it's not a real relationship, right? Like, it's, it's a professional one or it should be, um, and, yeah, so, uh, I just found myself, like, kind of disconnecting from the clients more, but not in the, not in just a way to, like, more so protect my energy and be professional, but more so I just felt like I genuinely didn't care, like, it was so weird because I was, like, normally I care so much about people's problems, and, trying to help them but this just I I really don't give a fuck (laughs) I would just be like I don't want to sit here and hear another person talk through their shit and I felt myself becoming more blunt with certain patients or clients and after talking to my therapist about it and everything he was like sounds like compassion fatigue and I was like excuse me (laughs) And he was like, yeah, compassion fatigue. Like, um, and we talked about it a little bit. And he's like, it's totally normal. And I felt really, like, validated in that. I felt like I could understand kind of what was going on. Because it's like, yeah, you know. I was, cry- I was crying. When I was talking to him about this, I was crying to him about, like, these two clients I had who had very, like, emotional cases with their children. And... In my eyes, it was kind of just like, how could the world be so cruel? Like, how could these innocent children experience such horrible things? And how could, you know, some parents just really not care or be there for their kids and stuff like that? And it was just making me so sad. 
as I think it would anybody with a heart. And then it made me almost like block, like it, it made me block out the compassionate and empathetic part of myself in order to process it. And the the funny thing is that I wasn't though, like I wasn't really processing it. I was just at a wall where it was there right in front of me. And all I could do was see it and think about it, but I wasn't working through it. And so I think this happens to a lot of us when we have compassion fatigue. And that to me is like also when I realized, you know, maybe this isn't just being burnt out. This is this is compassion fatigue. And that's what makes it a little bit different. Um, because I think when you are burnt out, you kind of get to a point of like, you're almost feeling rebellious, like refusing to try. Like you just kind of want to stop. You want to stop everything. You want to stop trying and blah, blah, blah. But when you have compassion fatigue, like you're usually still going about the motions, but you're just not doing them the same way or with the same like oomph that you normally would, right? Or the same passion. And so that's what can be really hard on those of us who are healthcare workers or social workers or individuals caring for family and friends who are mentally or physically ill and so like how did I work through it how do people work through it um there's a couple things so one of the main symptoms that I mentioned which is you stop taking care of yourself you neglect your routines and your self-care and you know you don't you're not doing your activities that you used to enjoy hobbies things like that maybe you're staying away from the people you love it's literally just biting the bullet, at least for me, it was biting the bullet and being like, I'm going to make plans with one of, my, one of my friends who I feel good when I'm around them. Like, I'm going to force myself to make plans with these people I love. I'm going to, like, force myself to get up and do my routines and not slack on my self-care, not slack on nourishing myself or going to the park or exercising and then just really opening up and like talking about what I was going through because I think, you know, as someone who naturally tends to isolate, um, I will isolate and then kind of like see my friends as if nothing happened, right? But what I'm starting to learn with time is that I can still see the people in my life when I'm going through a hard time and I can open up to them about that hard time I can open up to them about what's going on like I don't know if any of you struggle with this but I have this thing where it's like if I'm not going to one show up and be like 100% my very best then I don't want to show up at all and sometimes that could be like unhealthy for my relationships you know there's people in my life that I I want them to know like I love you and I love spending time with you and I want to see you and blah 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 but I've always let my isolation kind of pull me back during hard times and it's like what if I think about somebody else like one of my close friends if they are going through something I want them to still see me. I mean, obviously, if they need time alone, I want them to take it and take care of themselves. But I don't want them to keep their, like, life struggles and depression from, like, seeing me. I want my friends to come to me and talk to me and tell me what's going on. And that right there is the essence of vulnerability. 
you know, we want people to see us when we're great and we're perfect and we feel our best and we look our best, but not every day is our best. I mean, every day brings a different version of our best, but, you know, ideally, like, we have seasons in our life and we can't let the seasons dictate how we care for ourselves and how we show up for the other people in our life and our other commitments and responsibilities. Granted, it's human. It happens. I mean, I feel like sometimes it is inevitable, but once you become aware, that's when you can make the change, right? So the first step is always, always awareness. But yeah, so the essence of vulnerability is just like, I'm going to show you me, even when I'm not perfect. Like, at least for me, that's what it has been. And so being able to step into that discomfort and try to be vulnerable with the people in my life during that time when I was experiencing compassion fatigue was really, really helpful. Like being able to tell them like, you know, obviously I can't tell specific details or names or things like that because of HIPAA, but I would tell my friends like I had the craziest client and craziest case or, you know, can you believe that like people can go through things like this and at the end of the day, it can just really help you to open up and be vulnerable. And if you have good supportive people in your life, which I'm sure most of you do, then they're going to want to be there for you. They're going to want to help um, and just see you and hear you, right? And so that's something that like helped me a lot. Um, from the list of coping and management um strategies from Canadian Medical Association. They recommend other things such as practice mindfulness throughout the day, being aware of your thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations. I think that was a big one for me too. Like I had to take moments during the day to really just check in with myself and also like step aside to really just be like, you know what, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to walk around the building because that was a really hard client to deal with or that was a really hard case to hear you know um it also says when you start to feel anxious help yourself calm down by focusing on your breath and slowing down your breathing right yep if you feel overwhelmed and out of control take a moment to think about what you have what do what you do have control over and what you can change so really it's just all mindfulness it's and then of course it says establish a good self-care routine that includes eating healthy getting more exercise and getting enough sleep reach out to others for support whether that's family friends um a peer support group therapist set aside time for meaningful activity and find ways to connect with loved ones being able to like experience allow yourself to experience the good in the world can sometimes make up for like when you have secondary trauma from somebody else's experiences and then of course taking a break from the news and limit time you spend online every day that was very important because I know like when I'm in that negative headspace and feeling angry and irritable I'm more prone to like getting stuck in the infinite scroll and also looking at the quote-unquote like wrong content for my mental health <laughs> so stuff that might be very triggering to me right so kind of just taking time to really limit anything that's going to 
I guess, like, entice you, maybe. Like, entice you to focus on the things that are irritating and making you feel negative or bring up that secondary trauma a little bit. You know, there is a thing called, and I talk about this all the time, there is healthy distractions. And I highly recommend figuring out what your healthy distractions are. Mine is watching, like, reality TV. I think it's so funny because sometimes when I watch, like, fictional TV, even nonfiction, it, like, freaks me out because I'll be, like, so into the drama and then it triggers, like, my anxiety or, you know, because it's, it's always over the top. Whereas, like, sometimes reality TV, trust me, reality TV is over the top, not to say it's not, but you just see people, like, doing stuff instead of, like, this storyline that's just, like, gripping you. And sometimes I, like, don't need that. But then other times I do because I think back to when Game of Thrones was, like, my biggest coping mechanism. I don't know. I mean, it, it's always changing with every season in your life. But don't listen to me. I, don't, I feel like I feel like I'm, like, never just one way, right? It's not black or white. I usually go back and forth between different coping mechanisms and strategies and things like that. But overall, like, compassion fatigue is exhausting. And I remember even experiencing it with, like, family members that would come to me when they, like, needed help or wanted someone to listen to them. And after a while of just, like, being frustrated that they were making the same mistakes over and over and over again and, like, nothing was changing and then their life was, like, the same way every time I was talking to them, I I just got upset and 100% had compassion fatigue because at some point I was just like, I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't care. Mind you, I didn't say it to their face. I said something way nicer, I guess, but regardless, compassion fatigue can and it will happen at some point, I think, when you are an empath, when you are a grounded person, because people seek grounded people when they are not grounded. That's just, like, kind of how it goes, you know? Like, I will literally see my therapist every day if I need to. Just kidding. He doesn't have that much availability. (laughs) But it's fine. Um, Yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you find that any of this content was helpful, definitely let me know. I think I'm also going to make like a little infographic post for my Instagram um, on compassion fatigue. And it would be cool to just like hear your stories or hear if you relate. But... As always, have a great rest of your day or night, whatever it is, wherever you are. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Bye-bye.